Paul Kofi, 1759 to 1817, was an abolitionist, entrepreneur, philanthropist, and black nationalist. He is best known for his work in assisting free blacks who wanted to immigrate to Sierra Leone. He was born free on Cuddy Hunk Island in Massachusetts near New Bedford sometime around 1759. The exact date of his birth is unknown. He was the youngest of 10 children. His father, Kofi, also known as Kofi Slocum, was from the Ashanti Empire in West Africa. The elder Kofi was captured in Africa, enslaved, and brought to New England at the age of 10. Paul's mother, Ruth Moses, was a Native American. The elder Kofi, a skilled tradesman who was able to earn his freedom, died when Paul Kofi was just a teenager. The younger Kofi refused to use the name Slocum, which his father had been given by the man who was enslaving him, and instead took his father's first name for his last name. Paul Kofi became politically active in his early 20s. In 1780, against the backdrop of the American Revolution, Kofi led a group of free blacks to petition the Massachusetts government either to give African Americans and Native Americans voting rights or cease taxing them. Although the petition failed to sway the Massachusetts General Legislature, the campaign helped pave the way for creation of a new constitution in 1783, which granted equality to all Massachusetts citizens. Kofi, who married at the age of 25, was a devout and evangelical Quaker who early on developed a reputation as a philanthropist. He donated the funds to create a school in his hometown of Westport, Massachusetts, and was supportive of other educational endeavors. A staunch opponent of slavery and the slave trade, he united with other emancipated African Americans in the northern states in their abolitionist campaigns using his Quaker connections with sympathetic co-religionists to support his efforts. Kofi, first a whaling ship captain, eventually became a ship owner, operating a fleet of vessels which sailed between ports along the coast of Massachusetts. By 1811, he was reportedly the wealthiest African American in the United States and the largest employer of free African Americans. Despite his commercial success, Kofi became increasingly disillusioned with the racial status of African Americans and believed the creation of an independent African nation led by returnees from the United States offered the best prospects for free blacks and for African modernization. Inspired by British abolitionists who had established Sierra Leone, Kofi began to recruit blacks to immigrate to the fledgling colony. On January 2, 1811, he launched his first expedition to Sierra Leone, sailing with an all-African-American crew to Freetown. While there, Kofi helped to establish the Friendly Society of Sierra Leone, a trading organization run by African-Americans who had returned to West Africa. Kofi and others hoped the success of this enterprise would generate a mass immigration of free blacks to West Africa who, once there, would evangelize the Africans, establish business enterprises, and work to abolish slavery. In 1815, Kofi led 38 African-American colonists to Sierra Leone. The colonists established new homes and integrated into the small community of former English residents and refugees from Nova Scotia. Kofi hoped to organize larger groups of black immigrants. Kofi's efforts, however, were soon eclipsed by the larger and much better funded American Colonization Society founded in 1816, which promoted a similar scheme that eventually created the colony of Liberia. As white and black Americans debated the merits of the ACS's mass immigration program, Kofi's earlier efforts were soon eclipsed. Paul Kofi, died on September the 9th, 1817. New Abolitionist Radio salutes Paul Kofi. The views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium.
Land of the free, it lies the home of the homeless. Too many die every day, and we really just want this freedom. to this Wednesday night broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. My name is Scotty Reed, and I'm on this mic from behind the enemy lines of USA, Inc., where slavery is still legal. I uh, want to give a shout-out. I normally do not play uh, the entire intro track since we, uh, you know, we had uh, one prior to this one, but uh, when Cash Dow, shout out to her, came out with this 27, the most perfect album, uh, Cash Dow, just put that in YouTube. You'll be able to find the video, find it online, uh, download it to your phone, uh, whatever. But but shout out to her, and I want to dedicate that song uh, to all freedom fighters um, who since Jamestown, 1619 because remember it's 2019 that's 400 years of an unbroken line of of government sponsored government sanctioned legalized slavery through laws in one form of fashion or another it's still legal and again this program was founded on me coming um myself coming to the um Knowledge of actually reading the 13th Amendment, uh, what, in my uh, late 40s, 45, somewhere around there. But um, at the beginning of whenever we started the New Abolitionist Radio, which I think was seven years ago, um, 2013, I believe. Um, but yeah, so um, when I came to the knowledge of, of just reading the 13th Amendment and being able to, you know, I'm pretty good at comprehending English. And it's not a lot of le- it's not like the Thirteenth Amendment has a lot of what we call legal leads in it. It's a, it's a simple section one: neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except I emphasize that word again: except 
Look up the definition of accept if you don't know it. Accept as a punishment for crime where the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Section 2 simply says Congress shall have the power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. So as long as you have an exception clause for slavery and involuntary servitude, you cannot um, make a historically inaccurate statement like that and, and think that people's not going to challenge you. Um, whether it's due to your miseducation, uh, your own ignorance. Again, I was like <laughs> in my mid forties, um, before I found out that, Hey, this is wrong. All these Spielberg movies and old movies and, and what they, the little bit they did cover at East Gaston High School on the Civil War, uh, the text that I read in, in those history books, um, they didn't never talk about the 13th Amendment. Never read it in print media and actually done videos um, when they had the anniversary of the what was it? Was the um, of the Thirteenth Amendment? Yeah, uh, when they had the one hundred and fiftieth year anniversary. Of course, all of this is documented in our archives of New Abolitionist Radio. Um, but I made videos where you can see the screen where I'm showing you in an article where these people was deliberately leaving out uh, the text of the amendment. This is what all they would put in their articles. Uh, this the anniversary of the abolishment of slavery. Let's say that's the title, the 150th anniversary. Then it would say, um, the 13th amendment established that neither slavery nor involuntary, uh, servitude dot, 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 then shall exist in the United States. Man, they just butchered it instead of just, I think it's only 27 words if I'm not mistaken. And instead of devoting 27 words in, in, in their print media or or that's what I was examining, uh, they just left it out. And that was intentional. You don't Are you going to tell me these journalists who have college degrees and these editors who have college degrees and these successful uh, so-called educated publishers who own the company um, don't know what they're doing? Or they, they could legitimately be ignorant be, as victims of the United States public education system as well, um, and deliberately so. So that's what this program was founded on. Um, it's June 19th. That marks 400 years of continuous unbroken chain of, sla of slavery. And then, you know, we shouldn't allow other people to frame that period and they're just making up stuff and there's no historical evidence or or anything to support what they're saying it, I mean it's so much documentation and we can't allow our, ourselves to say well uh, all black people were enslaved back then and I'm not a slave today and all black people are, aren't slaves today where are the slaves today again they haven't read the 13th amendment they don't acknowledge that it'll it created the door for prison slavery, which, of course, is, is historically known as convict leasing, and now they call it mass incarceration, which is a tactical mistake and and a, a, a linguistic um, mistake because um, the 13th Amendment is simple and plain. It, it it has an exception. It's punishment for crime. That explains Jim Crow, Black Code laws, all of that. And this is evidence that the U.S. owes reparations. So that, tonight is an open forum, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm kind of very tired. Um, don't want to uh, overstrain my voice, but I'm going to do this hour program. It goes by so quick. But if you have a question or comment, it's open forum. Uh, news and your views possibly can go out live on air uh, if you can overcome um, your shyness or, or what have you. Um, but give us a call at 704-802-5056, 704-802-5056. Hit the star key twice. Uh, that'll signal me the host. And please always be mindful of your background noise. And, and please, no no uh, putting us on speakerphone, okay? Uh, that's, that, that makes for a terrible audio for the uh, listening audience. So, uh, But if you want to listen, you can just listen or you can also hang out um, online. Um, you call in that way too at uberconference.com slash blacktalkradio.com. 
Network. So um, tonight it looks like it's just going to be me. Um, the other regular panelists uh, will be taking the night off, and that will give us plenty of time to allow you, the new abolitionist community out there in the United States, or worldwide, I should say, an opportunity to voice your opinion on that H.R. Uh, 40 uh, hearing today. Today, uh, What was the exact name of it? H.R. 40 in the Path to Restorative Justice was the official title. Um, a historic uh, um hearing but if you heard our live broadcast earlier today on black talk radio network as we covered the hearings live um i, I did a five hour uh broadcast of course two hours maybe even three hours of that was the hearings uninterrupted uh without me you know stopping it for my commentary or, or what have, have you and then another hour or two actually two hours of of you know, me giving you my analysis of what was said, uh, what was presented, uh, and by who. And we heard from some other callers uh, as well. Shout out to Tag, uh, who, you know, like me, raised the issue that 13th Amendment was brought up several times, but not in the context that it's actually evidence of why the United States uh, owes reparations to, for not just the, um, the uh, victims of, of, of chattel slavery pre-1865, but the continued enslavement after 1865 as codified in 13th Amendment, uh, further supported with evidence when you look at the states adopting this same language, except as punishment for crime, then you, you, you adopt the uh, criminal, you, the legislature um, goes in and proposes laws, bills that become laws, they pass these laws and then these laws are used to target black people and, and other non-white people, but black people especially emancipated slaves and their, their descendants to put them right back into slavery although through the prisons and then leased out from the prison just like you would lease out a mule or something and then they didn't really care if these people died on the railroad, died in these mines, their families weren't compensated, you know, and again, these weren't criminals. Um, these were people who had been criminalized. There's a big difference when you're saying that five people can't uh, hold a conversation on a public street. And black people have always paid taxes since 1865. Um, you know, they give us that benefit. Oh, it, you know, that's really a privilege to pay taxes to the U.S. government. But, you know, these little petty laws of um, if you stop, if a cop, a slave catcher, uh, stop a person on the street, a black man on the street, and he can't provide some kind of physical evidence of where he worked, like a check stub or or, or whatever. I, I don't know when they invented check stubs, so I, I guess it might have been a handwritten note. But some kind of slave pass to get off the plantation or to prove he had a job on the plantation that you could go to jail by criminal, by law, by criminal codes, by criminal codes. And you, the 14th Amendment, has made you a U.S. citizen, but then they, they legally uh, put you in a status of, uh, of less than, legal status of le less than, then target you through law enforcement to throw you right back in, in, into slavery. So slavery never uh, ended. That's a fact. I don't think there's no one, um, and no one has ever tried to really debate me on this. Not seriously. Um, every guest that I have asked that question and read the 13th Amendment to has come to the same conclusion. Or already had that that uh, prior knowledge and had reached that conclusion themselves. But we were in full agreement that slavery was never abolished. Therefore, there must exist a new abolitionist movement. And, you know, I tried to do my part, um, past co-hosts, some who aren't even no longer with us, uh, not just on air, but have transitioned. Um, that's why we created this program. We all volunteer participated to bring to have a weekly conversation since 2013 on the very issue that we you've been hoodwinked to borrow phrase from Malcolm, Malcolm X from one of his speeches. We've been hoodwinked. You know, slavery was never abolished. 
It's right there in the 13th Amendment. That explains all of this policy, especially dealing with so-called criminal justice um, and then the, all the rest of society participating in the criminalization of a people and, and again, you know, putting them back in chains. So um, we tried to do our best to change the narrative, but unfortunately, or not really change the narrative, but get get the national narrative you're going to be speaking on this you have to make this acknowledgement you have to reveal the 13 it's the constitution that's the supreme law of the land throw it up there you know on on a chart whatever form i would have brought the 13th amendment in there if i had been um invited but that's on us as the new abolitionist movement that we haven't uh, really established a strong coalition uh, like Cobra is a good example that's a coalition it's national coalition of blacks for reparations uh, I, I believe and, and so we really haven't pulled financial resources enough to where we could hire people or compensate people from for going to Washington D.C. and lobby uh, people um, we haven't really established a, a organization. We do have our little individual organizations that address criminal justice, state nonprofits, federal 501c3s, but um, there's really no organized coalition of abolitionists in pooling their resources so that they can then write bills and proposals or be sitting at that panel, an expert among us which it don't take an expert. It just take a person with an eighth grade reading level. I don't know, maybe 12th grade comprehension level to read the 13th Amendment and be like, yeah, and connect the dots to, to present uh, policies and practices. That explains why black lives don't matter, especially uh, when you can keep filling up the prison with them no matter how many they, you kill. So... Um, you know, it was very disappointing that there wasn't an abolitionist on, on the platform. I never had the opportunity to um, interview Mr. Glover, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, Miss Devereaux, I believe is how you pronounce her last name, the uh, uh, sister girl that's the uh, economist um, and political commentator on, on television. Um, and the bishop, reverend, or whatever his title was, um, no, nobody, nobody laid that out, although they mentioned the 13th Amendment, but when they mentioned the 13th Amendment, it was supporting the myth that slavery has been abolished. Now, do not get me wrong. I am not angry with these folks for not knowing what they don't know. Unless you can show me evidence that they know, that they've been downloading New Abolitionist Radio. I mean, again, New Abolitionist Radio is part of the Black Talk Radio Network, something I've known for a long time but was confirmed earlier this year that when you're talking about uh, digital radio and, and audio podcasts, and, of course, we serve up videos as well, uh, we're the number one platform if you're targeting black people. So a lot of people, I mean, I... We are the uh, Twitter account is followed some by some very prominent people, and they do be retweeting stuff or liking stuff. Um, and I, I don't I don't want to use the word prominent, but let's just say well known celebrities, ex presidents, okay. And and they often when they agree with something that others might feel controversial, they hide. You know, they make their stuff private so that you don't know. Uh, who who they are, but uh, who I, I bet you if you follow some people uh, that's famous celebrities, you'll find that if you also follow Black Talk Radio, it, it Twitter sh it, it should still tell you uh, who follows. So I don't want to minimize what we have accomplished since 2013 and raising um, and elevating the abolitionist community, which has always existed. We didn't, although we named it New Abolitionists. We're not new. Um, this ideal or this knowledge, in fact, that slavery was never abolished because right there in the 13th Amendment, then that explains everything else. Uh, um, 
It's just that they didn't get much media coverage. They didn't get much media attention. This was before the age of internet. This was before the age of social media. This was before the age of independent um, digital media where you could produce audio, video, and, and stream it. At independent. Although a lot of people choose to use the free platforms out there and it's nothing wrong with that. Take advantage of your uh, 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 your adversaries or corporate resources, okay? You don't have to pay for it. I, I'm not hating on that. You know what I'm saying? But a lot of us use it to spread disinformation and undermine even this very reparations uh, movement, which has been ongoing for 400 years. For 400 years. And some people say, well, how come there's been no progress? Well, you just witnessed progress today, but that's how long racists and white supremacists in the government, whether they be Democrat or Republican, um, um, that's one thing that they have, have uh, been uh, preventing. Reparations, generation after generation, they, they've been fighting it. So what are we talking? Uh, in some cases, two generations. In some cases, three generations. That's that. That's a grandchild. That's a parent, and that's a grandparent. A emancipated victim of slavery. Let's not act like that was a long time ago. And I don't want to rehash a lot of the stuff that um, you know I went over in today's special broadcast of the HRR forty uh, hearing. You can check that out. I'm, I'm working to get that podcast split. I already split it. Now I got to tag it uh, with the MP3 tags and get it uploaded. So uh been a very busy day um, today. Um, so please check that out late, later and, and share it. So, you know, um, it was just disappointing to me that these educated folks and again, I blame the people who's in charge of the education curriculum. But if, if end of, one of these individuals read the 13th Amendment and we can have them on tape or in the writing where they're putting it out, I don't want to say, I, I don't wouldn't understand the logic in not, in not um, talking about the 13th Amendment in proper context, not as a document that abolished slavery, but one that put a loophole that allowed the North and the South to continue to practice the slavery under these per parameters. Again, free labor. And even today, um, if they don't force you to work and you're just sitting in a cell rotting away, possibly in solitary confinement, which is torture, uh, um, they still make money off your body teenagers like Khalif Browder is worth a half a million dollars or more I think it's three quarters of a million dollars a year for a teenager now why it costs so much so much money but yet this this young man was subjected to all kind of terror and brutality and inhumane practices by the staff like solitary confinement to the point that it affected that young mind. Remember, his brain wasn't fully developed. So much so, he was so traumatized, he hung himself. Even though he would have gotten a settlement if he hadn't gotten a settlement millions of dollars already as reparations for that trauma. But, uh that promise of money or that money could not heal heal his wound. So um, just this is ongoing. This is ongoing uh, slavery that continues. Four, 400 years on this uh, continent, what they call the continental USA, and 200 plus years, however old USA Inc. is, uh, which means, stands for United States of America Incorporated. Um, but 17, what, 75, 76, that might have been the beginning of the American Revolution. I'm not sure when they incorporated the exact date. That's what the uh, uh, Constitution as a whole is. It's like articles of incorporation. But anyway, with the bylaws and all of that. and um, But anyway, um, I'm going to pull up some of these clips um I think sometimes it's interesting, not saying it's a bad thing or to be suspicious. You you make judgment 
uh, based on the content that you hear. But I often um, try to check out what is the mainstream media promoting. Are they putting some kind of spin on it? Um, what what's you know? Cause like Malcolm X said, media controls the minds of the masses. So before I play one of these clips, I'm going to take uh, another station identification break. Let me check the board again. Um, what are your thoughts? If you have any, uh, if you're listening on the podcast later, thank you for checking us out. Share it. Um, but uh, what are your thoughts? You can leave them in the comment section. And we'll possibly revisit those on a, on a, the next broadcast. Um, but um, again, I'm going solo tonight. Uh, Max is off, Khadijah's off, and um, Ty, brother Tyson is off. But I can handle one hour show. We're almost halfway there uh, now. Despite my long hours, I, I put in sitting in this office chair. Yeah, I tell you, it, it's it's not so comfortable when you have a back injury. All right, so I'm going to take a break, obtain some coffee, but I'm going to play some uh, clips for you when we come back on the other side. Uh, mostly Mark Lamont Hill and, um, you know, interesting exchange through the media uh, between him and Senator Mitch McConnell, uh, who has some absurd, uh, ridiculous comments to uh, say why he was opposed to even studying um, the issue of reparations and, and any recommendations for reparative justice. Uh, so we're going to take that break, and then when we come back, we'll get into those clips. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio Broadcasting every Wednesday night live at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time here on the Black Talk Radio Network. Please help keep us, this program, and all the other programming um, on Black Talk Radio Network, all the digital radio stations you hear, by making a donation today to the Black Talk Media Project. Or you can also join btrcommunity.com, and here's more information on how to do that. Hi, the Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive this space to share information recorded. with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. Nat Turner's 1831 slave rebellion stuns the nation and pushes the South's slave policing system to its limits. For white Virginians and white slaveholders across the South, it was uh, a shock. The paranoia shoots off the scale. 50 dead today, how many dead tomorrow? In Southampton County, Virginia, Nat Turner, an enslaved preacher, has his own interpretation of the Bible. He believes that God has chosen him to avenge the sins of slavery. As Turner makes his rounds preaching in the field, he quietly enlists other slaves to his cause. For months, the men meet secretly, conspiring on the plans of their uprising. In the early morning hours of August 21st, 1831, Turner and his men launched one of the largest slave rebellions in American history. The rebels move from home to home, killing every white person they meet. As they advance towards the nearby town of Jerusalem, more recruits join them. The local slave patrols have failed to uncover Turner's plot. So the militia is called out to track down and kill the rebels. For 36 hours, the rebellion rages on. Church bells ring out in distress. 
Rumors spread among whites that the whole southern slave population has finally exploded in revolt and that the British are invading to liberate the slaves. As panic swells, the United States government provides important military support. And that support is ensured by slaveholder power. Don't forget that slavery is protected not only by the slaveholder, not, not only by the local militia or the state militia, but also by the full force of the military might of the United States of America. Except for that, slavery would not have been possible in the South. As the hunt for Nat Turner and his men continues, 800 U.S. troops join 2,000 local militiamen. Within a week, the rebellion is squashed. More than 50 rebels are captured. Nearly 60 white men, women, and children have been killed. The violence doesn't fully subside until Nat Turner is captured two months later on October 31st, not by a patrol or slave catcher, but by a farmer, by accident. Turner is tried, hanged, and skinned. In all, the state executes 55 black people for conspiring with Turner. The Turner Rebellion frightened whites literally out of their minds, and yet even that wasn't strong enough to provoke them to get rid of slavery as an institution. Dedicated to um, freedom fighters, 
worldwide, uh, those who uh, fought in the past and those who are still with us today. Y'all was just treated to uh, a rare track in hip hop. Uh, that's an unpublished track. It didn't, you can't buy it anywhere. Um, but that was legendary Chuck D, a public enemy with Cleo Jones, an artist that I used to produce a radio program for her um, on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, matter of fact, but I used to produce her show. She now lives in, in Europe. Um, I haven't been in touch with her or caught up with her or, or been keeping up with her, but I still believe she's involved in music. So that came out in 2008. That was the very year that Black Talk Radio Network was also born. So shout out to Cleo Jones, wherever you are. Um, and uh, shout out to the legendary Chuck D talking about fight the power like we used to do. That's why we need a new abolitionist movement. And, and you know, we're not going to even go negative um, because who knows behind these movements to disrupt the reparations movement. But, you know, shout out to Encobra. Uh, I believe that they're, yeah, tomorrow's Thursday, so um, their 30th convention, they put 30 years in. This is a coalition of organizations. No, you ain't hear a lot about them on CNN or ABC. Uh, I don't even think those cable news outlets existed in 1987, the, the year I unfortunately went into uh, the military. And, and what have you so uh, just bring back memories man I, I tell you but um, symbology let me talk about symbology again 400 years of continuous slavery um, today marks that day it actually also coincides with um, when emancipated victims of slavery still being enslaved you don't don't tell me that those uh, uh, slavers didn't know about the Emancipation Proclamation. They had known, uh, had the news, but they were still practicing slavery anyway. But two years after the Emancipation Proclamation in 1865, on June 19th, uh, this this U.S. Army general uh, arrives with the news that you quote unquote free. He didn't. Re I don't know if he read the Thirteenth Amendment to him. It might have done little good since it was illegal for victims of slavery to learn how to read anyway. So that wouldn't have made a difference. Uh, but I'm, I, I know that general, I, I don't know. But um, if he was a learned man, as they say, uh, he should have recognized the exception clause of the 13th Amendment and knew what was coming and knew what was coming. But it, today also marks that anniversary. And no, so no shame on them. And let me just apologize for my stances over the past few years uh, and how I try to approach some people online uh, within the Juneteenth uh, community because, you know, it's a holiday. It does generate um, um, dollars for people who have these Juneteenth festivals and then sell their, and, and nothing wrong with that. We live in a capitalistic uh, society where uh, a lot of people are deprived of opportunities. So you got to take out every opportunity you can to make enough to provide for you and your family. But um, I, I just tried to push out there that please start um, acknowledging that those ancestors back then, those victims of slavery were lied to. And that slavery was never abolished and read the 13th Amendment. Just read it one time at the beginning, at the end of the festival or, or the speakers list or, or, you know, you might have a conference. And, you know, I did try to build relationships with other organizations. And, you know, we do now have an official relationship, Black Talk Media Project, of course, Black Talk Radio Network, with NCOBRA, um, with their first and third uh, Mondays uh, when they broadcast at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, their uh, weekly hour, bi-weekly hourly show, uh, which will expand in the future to possibly two hours, possibly e every week, as they talked about on their debut uh, podcast, uh, broadcast this, this past Monday. Um so we had invited them, if y'all recall, and it's in the archives, uh, we were inviting different organ uh, representatives from various organizations 
um, those in a prisoner's right uh, advocacy and, and what have you, and getting them to confront the 13th Amendment and this exception clause and, and to recognize that slavery was never abolished, that it is a mistake for us to limit it to pre-1865 slavery because then you get ignorant responses from people like Mitch McConnell saying there's no slavers alive and there was no victims of slavery alive. Well, um, I did beg to differ at any given time, there's probably about 1 million or more descendants of those original victims of slavery who are in prison slavery, cycled in and out at any given time, prison, jail, making money off of them. Still continues. And, and, and Cobra helped rewrite some of this legislation and, um, but the representatives, uh, shout out to Sheila Lee Jackson, the symbology again, uh, her, she's a Texas representative again, it's Juneteenth and which is celebration of those, uh, uh, victims in Texas finally getting the news two years after the fact about the emancipation proclamation. And, and so that's some symbol symbology there. So it's like the stars are aligning itself. Um, you got this big black hole that's, just you know black holes are evil and they suck everything in called the Trump administration and the GOP um, as they did not take this hearing serious and they decided um, to bring on some people to give some talking points like they were on a radio show or something talking to a conservative uh, audience and not a good faith effort to support the study and let's ask questions but we got a lot of talking points again um you will oh, sometime tonight or in, early in the morning be able to check out my commentary on the hearing. So, but let's just go ahead and play some of these clips again. Um, welcome to those dialed in to the board. If you have a question to come in, hit star star. Uh, man, I, I tell you, hour goes by fast, but let me um, give out that number 704 802 5056. Hits the star key twice. To unmute yourself, be mindful of your background noise. But I think uh, Mark Lamont Hill represented well. I would have liked to have heard more from the white person or one of the white persons on the panel um, who was involved in bringing lawsuits uh, for reparations for actual documented acts of racism towards specific groups and their descendants of black people who were burnt out towns lynched all of that shot all of that so but um i don't have any of those clips but tana hasi coast was uh trending on twitter if you go to black uh, btrcommunity.com if you're a member um and i think if i posted this in the group that uh the group's public so uh even if you're not a member you'll be able to see it um but that's where you'll find these uh interesting clips but i thought tana hasi coast represented well and, and stuck to or tried to keep others to the data, the facts. Like pointing out to Mitch McConnell that you was alive during this terrorism and what have you. And and before I forget, let me say this. We played the clip of Matt Turner. That's evidence of the federal government's involvement in, in helping the states perpetrate the institution of slavery and of course again the 13th amendment and it's all still going on but let me say this about the military here's a non-violent way that we could put pressure on this congress or a future congress on this president or the next president the next CEO of USAE is to start organizing among ourselves, whether we're in churches, whether we're in the club, whether we're in um, a sewing circle, whether, you know, wherever, we're in a spa, um, in a nail salon, at the barbershop, start promoting the ideal that if they don't pass reparations, do the study. We understand you got to go through the proper uh, uh, procedures and whatnot. Do the studies, come up with the recommendations. And then pass a bill to fund those recommendations, no matter what, what they are. And if you do not, we will all of a sudden become pacifists and conscientious objectors 
and we will no longer participate and definitely parents you have to talk to your children I was able to get through the mind to not follow in their father's footsteps and join the US military because of the pressures of, of poverty and find a, 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 another way but if we start seriously threatening to non-violently withhold our energy from violent institutions used to actually steal resources, wealth, and kill millions of non-white people. How many in the 400 uh, year history? And, and for much a part of that, after the Civil War, African Americans helped them take the West from the Indians. Let's just be honest about that. Helped them take the West. Some of the former soldiers who were taken out the South to enforce Reconstruction and sent out West to go kill other non-white people and take their land and then allow white for paid away for white settlers and provide them protection while black people descendants and uh, uh, victims of just emancipated victims of slavery weren't even given their 40 acres in a mule. None of that land. So, I mean, uh, uh, it's just we need to start getting serious and to let them know that we serious, that we will no longer, which we shouldn't be giving our energy to unjust activities just because we're going to get a share of the booty um, but I, I, you know, um, become pacifists. Teach your children what the word conscientious objector means. And, 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 you know, that's really relevant during the draft. But uh, there was a couple of people when I was in the military that invoked that when they deployed us to Iraq for the first Gulf War. Well, I'm sure it wasn't the first that the U.S. was involved in, but the war in the Gulf in the 90s. So, um, we need to start, you know, people talk about economic boycotts. Well, white people have so much more wealth that they, they can do without us. Some people like brands like Tommy Hilfiger, the designer said, we don't want your money. So they, you know, sometimes economic, uh, economic boycotts have their place. They works better on a local level than a national level. These big national companies, uh, and what have you, but anyway, I, I've talked long enough. I tend to do that when I'm tired. But let me play this clip. Um, here's Ta-Nehisi Coates at the reparations hearing. Enslavement reigned for 250 years on these shores, actually 400, bro. Again, abolitionism. Need to read the 13th. When it ended, this country could have extended its hollow principles of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness to all, but America had other things in mind. I think it's just a short clip. So I'm just going to go through all these little short clips. Enslavement reigned for 250 years on these shores. When it ended, this country could have extended its hollowed principles, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to all regardless of color. But America had other principles in mind. And so for a century after the Civil War, black people were subjected to a relentless campaign of terror, a campaign that extended well into the lifetime of Majority Leader McConnell. It is tempting to divorce this modern campaign of terror, of plunder, from enslavement. But the logic of enslavement, of white supremacy, respects no such borders. Mr. Tanahashi Coates, in your article, The Case for Reparations, you state 250 years of slavery, 90 years of Jim Crow, 60 years of separate but equal, 35 years of racist housing policies. Until we reckon with our compounding moral debts, America will never be whole. Why should the federal government bear responsibility for economic and social damages to the descendants of the enslaved? The 13th Amendment. I thank you, Chairman Coleman. Cohen. Uh, I, I think the most obvious reason is because the federal government is complicit in it. Uh, the article that, that you spoke about, um, this, this period of uh, white supremacy that you referenced in the headline, uh, it is so broad that if I tried to cover it in, in one article, it would have been impossible. So I focused on a very specific thing, and that is the period of Jim Crow and housing segregation and redlining, specifically in the city of Chicago. The federal government should pay because the federal government was deeply complicit 
uh, in uh, housing segregation and redlining and in the plunder of black homeowners in Chicago. Uh, it would not have existed if the FHA had not had a policy of uh, not insuring loans for black people living in Chicago. Uh, it would not exi have existed if not for the redlining maps which were written and created by this government of every major city in the country, which effectively uh, relegated black people, whether they had a down payment or not, uh, outside of a class of people who could benefit uh, from a movement which basically created our modern middle class. And so uh, I don't know how it would be possible to exempt the federal government uh, from such a process. And furthermore, I, just, I have to make this point over and over. Many of the people who were victimized by housing segregation and by redlining are very much alive today. So this is not strictly about the past. This is identifiable victims, as Dr. Miller, as Professor Miller said, uh, who are there and who are ready and uh, to be part of the process. So again, I thought Ta-Nehisi Coates represented well um, in explaining himself. And, and this happened all over the place now. Also, again, evidence is current uh, patterns and practices you just had this Republican strategist out of North Carolina who was an expert in redistricting. You know, that came to my memory when Ta-Nehisi Cole said redlining, um, which is an economic, you know, no-go zone. And, and you depress this this area, all these black people of economic uh, activity, good-paying jobs, access to this, that, and, and other public services that their taxes should, should be providing um, for. But that triggered in my mind redistricting that's another that's a form of political redlining and diminishing uh african americans voting power and non-white people if they vote in blocks and what have you but it affects african americans black people the most and so you had this guy just die he was lived here in north carolina his daughter came with going through his possessions and came across these tapes of him de detailing out a national strategy sent out to the GOP to suppress the black vote through redistricting and their intent and their racist intent. This is all in this evidence, right? And instead of burning it to protect the race, to protect the good name, quote unquote, of her father, uh, this this daughter decided to turn it over to a non-profit organization that went through the evidence, went through the tapes and uncovered this evidence of institutional racism through the GOP today. Hence why they also, um, you know, they use this as evidence for why are you putting this citizenship question on the 2020 census? Okay, so... Uh, um, Lot to unpack there. I'm gonna continue with with the clips. Let me check the uh, board. There's no one unmuted, so let me continue with the clips. I thought he he you know did pretty well. So I'm gonna I'm gonna close it out with the opening remarks from Representative Nadler. Um, yeah, we only got a few more minutes to go uh, in this broadcast. Please t uh, continue to support New Abolitionist Radio by way of the Black Talk Media Project, which underwrites this program. Um, by making a financial donation today, you can also become a member of social, of our secure social media community, uh, btrcommunity.com. And uh, it's just $24 a year. That's how we try to remain financially independent and, and not be under the influence of those who would use uh, money uh, to take away our, our um, sovereignty, so to speak. All right, so. It's the last clip, and then we'll close it out. Thank you for tuning in and uh, participating. Thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman, for calling this important hearing. This year, we mark the 400th anniversary of the first enslaved Africans arriving at the colony of Jamestown, Virginia. Today's hearing on H.R. 40 and the path to restorative justice gives us the opportunity to reflect on the shameful legacy of slavery and Jim Crow in this country and to examine how we can best move forward as a nation. For nearly three decades, the former chairman of the Judiciary Committee, John Conyers of Michigan, introduced H.R. 40, which would establish a commission to study reparations proposals for African Americans. Our colleague, the, gentleman, the gentlewoman from Texas, Ms. Jackson Lee, has taken up sponsorship of this legislation, and I am pleased to be a co-sponsor 
as I was a co-sponsor for many years when it was sponsored by Mr. Conyers. H.R. 40 is intended to begin a national conversation about how to confront the brutal mistreatment of African Americans during chattel slavery, Jim Crow segregation, and the enduring structural racism that remains endemic to our society today. Even long after slavery was abolished, segregation and subjugation of African Americans was a defining part of this nation's policies that shaped its values and its institutions. Today, we live with racial disparities in access to education, healthcare, housing, insurance, employment, and other social goods that are directly attributable to the damaging legacy of slavery and government-sponsored racial discrimination in this century following slavery's end. It is important to recognize that H.R. 40 slavery makes no never conclusion ended. about how to properly atone for and make, and make recompense for the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow and their lingering consequences. Instead, it sets forth a process by which a diverse group of experts and stakeholders can study the complex issues involved and make recommendations to us. Most serious reparations models that have been proposed to date have focused on restorative community-based programs of employment, health care, housing, and education initiatives, righting wrongs that cannot be fixed with checks alone. This moment of national reckoning comes at a time when our nation must find constructive ways to confront a rising tide of racial and ethnic division. In April, this committee held a hearing on hate crimes and the rise of white nationalism in order to begin framing a federal response. Hate crimes, white supremacy, the legacy of slavery, the legacy of Jim Crow, all hold back our country's longstanding efforts to carry out what the preamble to our Constitution says it is designed to do to form a more perfect union. Reparations in the context of H.R. 40 are ultimately about respect and reconciliation and the hope that one day all Americans can walk together toward a more just future. I hope that the commission established by H.R. 40 can help us better comprehend our own history and bring us closer to racial understanding and advancement and justice. Today's hearing gives the subcommittee an important opportunity to hear from witnesses directly involved in shaping the discourse on healing our society and creating a path to restorative justice. I am pleased that we have such a distinguished panel of witnesses whose testimony will assist us greatly in understanding the scope of our, the scope of our inquiry. The discussion of reparations is a journey in which the road traveled may be almost as important as the exact destination. I am pleased that the subcommittee is beginning this process today, and I look forward to hearing from our witnesses. I yield back the balance of my time. And I cannot close out the broadcast without once again, reading for you the 13th Amendment to push back against this uh, notion that slavery ended, because you heard it several times in the representative's uh, opening remarks there to the hearing. Let me read the 13th Amendment. Please share this with with your sewing circle, your friends, your family, and, and debate it. Pull it up on, on your phone. 13th Amendment. Supreme Law of the Land, U.S. Constitution, Section 1, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime where the party shall have been duly convicted. What do you think Jim Crow is? That's the Jim Crow right there. Except as a punishment, let's put them in slavery, uh, make them involuntary servants by convicting them of crimes that, that we create through legislation, and then target just these individuals for prosecution, arrest, and, pro and prosecution. So let me, you know, I had to interject. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime where other party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place to their subject of subject to their jurisdiction. See, I couldn't. I, I wish I could have been at that hearing. And um, I probably would have got taken out, escorted out for saying, read the 13th Amendment. Slavery was never, I would have been shouting that every time they they brought it up and uh, until they until they removed me. And hopefully CNN, MSNBC, Fox, ABC, maybe they wouldn't ignore me and ask me what was I shouting and whatnot. And then, you know, uh, broadcast me to their millions of viewers uh, of me telling people that, 
the 13th Amendment did not abolish slavery, so let's use the correct, historically accurate information um, instead of using, you know, um, this nonsense that it was abolished. It is evidence for a, the case for reparations, then end slavery. All right, with that said, peace and blessings to all. Y'all have a good night. Land of the free, it lies the home of the homeless. Too many die every day, and we really just want this freedom.